Welcome to the BIV Today. Oh, sorry. Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business podcast from Business in Vancouver newspaper and BIV.com. I'm Tyler Orton. I'm Haley Wooden. Over the next two weeks, Business in Vancouver will be speaking to Vancouver's 10 mayoral candidates about their platforms and why they're running. We're doing this in the lead up to our Glacier Media All Candidates debate on Monday, September 17th. The event is sold out, but we will be live streaming it at BIV.com. And more information about the event, it's available at BIV.com slash events. And we have two other events we want to draw your attention to. Our BIV FinTech panel on September 13th is coming up. And our Cannabis Investors Forum on September 25th, or I should say 26th, is also coming up. This episode, we're speaking to two mayoral candidates. We start today's episode with a conversation with Golak Budai. Golak Budai is running for mayor of Vancouver in this year's municipal election. He is an independent political candidate. He's run several times before. He's a self-described libertarian, and he joins us today to talk about his campaign. Great to have you with us. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. Why don't we start with having you tell us a little bit about yourself? About myself? Well, I'm uh, about four decades old right now. Uh, I uh, first moved to Vancouver 30 years ago, and uh, that was just after the uh, just after the um, Calgary Olympics, and uh, we were in Calgary at that time. I moved here. I went to the went to the uh, West End schools, and uh, now I live in the East End. I uh, I come from a, uh, a refugee family. Well, my father's family is from the, a refugee. My mother's a a little more Western privileged, but uh, Flemish uh, from Amsterdam. And, but um, uh, so I, so I've, uh, I've, I guess, uh, I guess my anti-communism comes from uh, my father's side and my uh, my tendency, my sometimes uh, tendency to be concerned with uh, the poor probably comes from my my. Uh, Mother's side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and why are you running for mayor of Vancouver? Uh, why am I running for mayor of Vancouver? Well, because nobody else really tends to stand up for the things I believe in quite right. I mean, usually it's maybe like 10% here, 10% there, and so on, right? You know, I could probably assemble a bunch of councillors to make that up in a vote, but... Uh, even even there, it's a little hard to, without wards and stuff, it's very hard to really uh, focus on, on exactly who you want for counselor because there's a um, there's a, a a lot of options, and when you're not a slate voter, it's uh, so. So, what is it that you believe in? Like, what do you want to put forward to at the city hall level? Well, I'd I'd like I'd like uh, to promote the concept of government affordability. That uh, seems to get ignored a lot in this housing debate. It's very nice and good to want people housed, but you can't exactly have the government throwing rubber checks at it later, can you? Uh, I mean, I've been going through uh, employment lists in the city and stuff like that. We got the really bizarre things like uh, youth leaders and stuff like that. I mean, there better be really a good explanation for this, or they got to get rid of it. I mean, why would you pay thirty dollars an hour for someone? under a title 
even as vague as that, let alone. So your, your number one priority is spending at City Hall. You, you feel as if spending is too much. Yeah, because I think I think if we were going to uh, talk about, I mean, people are paying for everything. I mean, they're paying for the government as well. It's housing and everything else. And if we're going to say, uh, if we're going to tell a developer or someone else that their rents are too high, maybe we should explain why our costs are so high. I mean, there should there should be severe accountability accountability on the spending level. And they're collecting a lot of taxes from a lot of people, and uh, it's it's just not fair to them. Unless you know, we should really be itemizing everything and telling everyone exactly what's going to here, what's so going there. What's are going are you there. looking for more transparency, or are you just looking to cut, cut, cut? What what is well, your plan of action? Well, the plan the plan is uh, transparency and cutting. We have to find exactly where the waste is, like. Like I explained, there are some places where you just can't explain away why they have uh, certain employees doing certain things. I'm not even sure why there's a contract specialist. There are ten, about 10 contract specialists. And contracts aren't, if you use plain language, contracts aren't exactly that complicated. You get, you got to set up, a, you've got a simple agreement and uh, certain parties have to do this, certain parties have to do that. And after that, it's just a court issue. Um, so you advocate for making some cuts. What would you do with then the the money that otherwise would have gone to these positions or to these different programs? Well, some things might. I mean, I think I think we should probably the best policing out there is probably the animal control people, and they're they get probably get paid about ten bucks less than they probably should per hour. Um, but uh, largely, probably go to tax cuts. Because uh, I and uh, I think possibly we should even look at uh, fixing taxes too to make sure they can't even increase certain past a certain point. Because what we end up with a problem, we end up with a problem when the government starts realizing they can just have unlimited amounts of money, and then when they can't argue with tax, you can just go and borrow and stuff like that. We've got to make sure that there are. Limited revenues too, because uh, blank checks are a dangerous thing in anyone's hands. And uh, unless they got a clear, decisive explanation on why they're spending something, and unless they have a, uh, unless they have an, uh, unless they can argue on a street level that this money is going to some actual good, and then there's actual pro. There's an actual standard for failure. There's a standard for success and things like that on a very open level. Uh, pretty much all of it is a waste. And and a lot of the Let waste this, even goes to things like bicycles. Like you see, they're they're putting small businesses out of small businesses out of the way because they want to put out these uh, share bikes everywhere. And there are businesses that are that are um, buying, selling, and renting bikes in, all over the place, and uh, especially where the market was needed. And uh, it's basically a government price fixing fiasco, spent by spent with taxpayer dollars. 
So let's say you're in City Hall. How would you want to ec- uh, foster economic development here? You know, obviously you'd be looking at cuts. Uh, you'd well, be more money in, I guess, people's wallets. Is that kind of the idea behind, I guess, economic well, activity? Well, not just that. I mean, you need to de- deregulate things. I mean, I don't think the government should be in the business of telling a go- business when their business hours should be. If a bar wants to go old 24 hours, why not? I mean, and if it's if the they know their business, they're in their business because they know. And if they don't, it should fail like anybody, any business should. I mean, I don't believe in too big to fail, too small to fail. If well, what just, about maybe the social consequences of having bars open? Because there's a lot of restrictions here and a lot of them have to do with the province. And they'll argue that it could be, say, fostering addiction problems throughout the city. Well, addiction is largely a character issue, and it's also... It, it's also very much a genetic issue. I wouldn't say it's a character well, issue. Well, I mean, it would be... There's, it's a, That's more of a matter of, uh, what do they call it, anecdotal evidence? I don't think as so. I, as, I think it's quite empirical. I don't think so. Well, I, I don't know if addiction is a reflection of someone's character. I, I think that's quite actually quite offensive to people. Well, it might be offensive. A lot of things are offensive to people. I mean, tax cuts are offensive to people too. I mean, uh, you mentioned tax cuts and people will start saying you want to throw the poor out in the street. Uh, uh, um, so you're, you're I wouldn't be concerned hold... about maybe social consequences of some of these things I would... Well, take... no, because if, if you really do think that you're genetically apt to being addicted to something, you can still not go to a bar. Usually, from what I understand, it's that if you do have what they call this addiction, uh, usually it's the first taste that starts the, the uh, frenzy, right? Well, if somebody's grown up in, say, an abusive household or something like that, uh, exposed to this as a, a young child, I don't know. I mean, that's kind of a tough proposition for you to say. And yeah, if but city it's not is the business's to... fault for uh, doing business. It's Okay. It, it goes to it goes to a much bigger place. I mean, if you know you have a problem, for instance, you, there are a lot of places you can walk into a hospital and say, "I need help." I mean, it doesn't. And, and yet, this it doesn't even require issue force. Still it doesn't persists quite quite extravagantly throughout. Yeah, you know, but it does. Vancouver. It does even with limitations on the businesses too, right? It doesn't change the fact. I mean, people go but to this, liquor stores. Go but to you bars. could argue that it would become an even greater problem. It wouldn't be going very good problem. Really? Okay. Well, yeah. that would be the argument that'd be made. So, well, yeah. I mean, do you, accessibility so does deregulate. Yeah. Okay. I got you there. That that's how we would foster economic activity here in the city. Is well, deregulation, deregulation, tax cuts, make sure people have more expendable income to spend everywhere. You know, if if you're spending your uh, your fun bucks on the, on everybody on all these. Uh, government taxes and and fund and funding schemes and so on it's just not going to uh it's just not going to foster what you feel is fun i mean you're not going to be able to do what you feel is fun i mean we sure we'll have parades and stuff like that and some people start arguing for uh subsidies to that and stuff like that the big the biggest and, and that's, that falls into the biggest folly of government is that uh, what they do is they say, well, we see four people in poverty or four people not having fun. And they say, we'll just tax eight people and make sure they can have all that. Then those eight people are in the same position. They tax 16 more people to put those eight people out. And then everyone eventually is still doing badly. 
And uh, eventually the government's just throwing rubber checks at everybody. So would you say that in Vancouver we're taxing people into poverty? Is that your argument? Generally speaking, that's usually what government's doing. It's uh, really more spreading out the poverty, unless, of course, you can vote yourself a pay raise. That's a whole different st- st- area. I, mean, I think one of the biggest questions I have for you, you're advocating for less taxes, would give people a greater ability to determine how they want to spend Yeah. I also Fine. advocate cutting the pay of, of the mayors separately from the council because I know if I do it and, and I mix council up in that, I won't actually get the votes to uh, pass the mayor pay, pay cut. <laughs> so, but, um, but a lot of tax dollars go toward really important basic services, collecting waste, for example, uh, how we handle sewage. It's not just parades. Well, the basic it's things, yes. Services. But the basic things aren't exactly... Uh, the basic things can be handled by a lot of them can be handled by private sectors. A lot of them are like garbage and stuff like that. And uh, they don't all have to be, they can, they can all be, a lot of them can be contracted out. They don't have to be uh, fully government managed. They don't have to be fully government controlled. I mean, you can send out funds and vouchers and things like that and still have services for people. And at a lot lighter cost because you're making negotiations, you're arguing for better contracts, you're you're getting the best bids on the best deals and the best options. I'm not saying we, I'm not saying the 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 libertarian dream of no government is going to happen tomorrow, and it's going to be impossible. I won't see that. I won't. I won't be. I'll be dead in the earth before that's even a, even in the on the horizon. But I'm a I'm a I'm a realist among libertarians. I don't. Uh, think anarchy is going to be just just right in the grip just like i mean that's just as bad as you know the the communist mentality that you know you'll throw money at and suddenly it'll go away fair enough so go like in, in the couple of moments we have left is there anything else you you want to share about what you stand for and re- what you're running for that we haven't already talked about well i'm a free speech advocate i'm also a, which is handy when you're mediating something like council because council could end up a huge mess. Could, you could have three from one party and this party and that party, and they could all have their own um, uh, dogmatic rules about things. And and uh, if any of them have someone within their party or even a, someone who's favorable to a wing or another wing well, with regard to speech, you could probably end up with a real mess. So uh, if you have a libertarian in charge of mediating that and uh, they're – pretty much dogmatically for free speech. <laughs> They're going to let this guy talk, this guy talk, this guy talk, that guy talk in council, and everyone will have their say. Um, and uh, I'm, a, of course, a property rights activist. I think I think property should be the right of the individual, not a collective group. So, I mean, that probably puts me at odds with businesses like development companies and stuff. But, uh, but you know, development companies can always rent the plot of land from the person that they build on. They don't have, and that could be a good money property for the person who owns it. They don't, it doesn't necessarily require a huge conglomeration to own all the land. So you don't think a business should own property? No, because it's a collective. It's not an individual. It's a, it's a, the individuals might act as a cog in it, but. How how would you attack maybe, I think that the housing affordability crisis that I think is going to shape up to be the number one issue that at least people are talking about in the upcoming well, I saw election. that coming in 96. I mean, I saw the condos going up. There is a little cramped little SROs with bathroom, private bathrooms. 
and they were selling them for 125000 back then. Actually, oddly enough, the cost didn't go up that high from then, that point. And that was, just, that was condos. I mean, I've seen rental housing disappear, and as a lifetime renter, that was always a concern. And um, in 96, I was talking about that. I was saying, this is a problem. These collective organizations are going around, they're buying up land, and they're building up condos that no one is going to be able to afford in the long run. And what do you know? I'm right. I was right, I was right about the Olympics. So okay, so, so you're right. How would you address that, though? Well, it's a, it's a huge damage control problem right now. I mean, I'm not sure one term will even do that. Uh, right? If we get government on the right trail and we get it, if we get it, uh, I guess, uh, what is the term? Uh, sustainable? That was the term. Uh, if, we, if we make government sustainable or, and self-sustainable and uh, affordable and we manage to make it to work properly for the better good, we might actually be able to solve the problem. You know, something that did happen in New York didn't happen with government. It actually happened with a private woman who uh, who uh, got a building um, with uh, Catholic service, Catholic charities, and uh, and because there was no uh, requirement by a provincial government that they get a government contract from the uh, from the regional area. They, they could go along and they built, they refurbished a building. They put a bunch of homeless people in it. They uh, rented the bottom level to a bunch of businesses and they got them jobs there. And they also handled the building, man, how, running, managed things like running the building and things like that. And, and people were feeling good about themselves. They're feeling good, better about themselves. Uh, there was morale to it. There wasn't, it wasn't feeling like they were getting anything for nothing. That, that sort of thing worked, and that didn't take any government at all. It just, meant, it just required the New York City to stay out of the way. Of course, in our case, it's a little more complicated with government contracts from the province and stuff, so we kind of have to it'll, – it'll take some fighting to uh, make sure the province stays out of it. But I'm willing to go down and fight for fight for uh, any private action. What, I mean, what would be step number one? Stick a gyroid to it. Step number one for a tackling housing affordability issue. Well, step number one is for foremost, we have to uh, make sure that we got to make sure we kind of avoid the blame game a lot of the ways because may, this mayor may have not helped largely because he made a stupid promise a long time ago, but it's been happening for decades, for decades. And, uh, the fact that it's been ignored, it's been ignored, it's been ignored has led us to the situation where we've got no money and we've got lots of need. So uh, we will have to work with private sector, fun, uh, f- private sector organizations. We'll have to work with, we'll have to work with charities that actually do have a personal interest in helping people. Because if one thing is true, government is no charity. It takes a lot and it gives nothing. Well, it gives you uh, this. It gives you enough that you can call it uh, damage control. Not very good at damage control, but it's damage control. Uh, that's essentially what a government social program is. It's damage control to make to so people forget that all, all the other mess ups like uh, arts funding and all that other waste. So, if you were mayor, what would you do differently? What would be 
the first thing you do with regard to housing? Well, it's a, it's a very general issue because uh, with, with government right now, we, we need to do a full audit. We need to do sunset clauses. We need to close up all the red tape, definitely. And I think it will benefit a lot if we get rid of a lot of the red tape, especially with sunset clauses. Because with a sunset clause, if you start applying a sunset clause to every bylaw and every every um, every law and regulation and uh, building code out there, you actually have to reanalyze it every so often Does in that, order for it to stay in the rule book. The argument against that might be, okay, well, it creates a level of instability or a lack of predictability. Well, well so does the businesses. voting system. I mean, every time you vote, you end up voting in maybe a new person, maybe not a new person. Elections in general are an instability thing. So... Um, they're also and like you don't even know if people are telling the truth. Well, yeah, it is a sort of a democratic institution, but uh, well, it's on the on the on our on this level, it's more of a republican system than a democratic system, or I guess a social democratic system would be. But um, you know, separation of powers and that sort of thing. That's a lot. A lot of people forget, by the way, that uh, the mayor is actually a separate power from the council. They're, they're a tie-breaking vote like a vice president in the United States, and uh, they mediate meetings, and they run the cops, and then they, they administrate things. But uh, but everyone thinks that you know a mayor, when they're making promises and to wave their magic wand, can just solve the problem, and it's just not the case. The best way you think you can do is mediate as much as proper, best as possible, make sure everyone gets to say, and then start bouncing around ideas and try to figure out the solution. Because in, in, when it goes down to it, when someone's sitting in the mayor's seat, when the, when the, the election's done and they're sworn in and they're sitting in the mayor's seat, they're going to look at a lot of papers and they're going to realize, like probably Gregor realized when he first sat there and wouldn't admit it, that, oh my God, it was worse than I thought. Because it will be worse than we think. And... Uh, and we can't even quantify how badly it, it's going to be because, frankly, we've been lied to for a long time. And it's, and that's the importance of tra- transparency. Great. Well, Golok, thank you so much for joining us on the show. It was great to have you on with your thoughts. Thank you for having me. That's Golak Budai, Vancouver mayoral candidate running as an independent. And our next conversation with, is with Mike Hansen, also running as an independent. Uh, unfortunately, Mike departed before we were able to do the podcast with him. But this following conversation, it's taken from our editorial board meeting. Audio is maybe just a little bit different, but we still get some interesting nuggets out of Mike. People dying and nobody cares. That's a big issue. My sisters and brothers are dying in the streets of Vancouver and nobody gives a rat's ass. That's a big issue. We got crime that's out of control in this issue, in this city. That's a big issue. We got crime at City Hall is a big issue. Right? See, it's a, it's a, it's a, it flows downhill. Corruption flows downhill. You've got corruption at the top. You've got a guy that lied and cheated and deceived the voters and the homeless and his wife and kids. He's going to lie and cheat and deceive everybody, right? All the way to the bottom of the, the pile. We need change. I'm here for change. I'm the face of change. We're going to close all the supervised injection sites and we're going to supply clinical grade heroin to these folks. 
Why should they, this is it's unconscionable behavior to allow someone to bring toxic deadly poison into a health facility so we can revive them? No, 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 you don't do that. You give them the clinical grade heroin that they are addicted to and then slowly wean them down. If Switzerland can do it for 28 years, why can't we? If Portugal can do it, why can't we? If we give clinical heroin to only drug addicts, they're going to stop stealing from the stores. They're going to start buying from the stores because now they got their dope and they got money left over from their welfare check. They're going to boost the economy in Vancouver. They're going to help things in Vancouver. Listen, the reason why we have multiple security services flooding into the city is because the people are insecure. The businesses are insecure. And that's it for our show. Thanks for listening to BIV today. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, or go to BIV.com slash audio for even more information, or just go to BIV.com for all of our stories. Join us tomorrow as we continue our coverage of Vancouver's mayoral race. 